This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode of Homestead on the Corner was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, then please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes, a special patron-only podcast, and exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Good morning, everyone. This is Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to Homestead on the Corner. It's been said that in storytelling, your hero is only as good as your villain. Of course, that isn't always true. If it was, then the early movies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe would have never gotten off the ground. There are plenty of stories with weak villains and fascinating multidimensional heroes who pick up the slack. And there are hundreds of great stories to which the terms hero and villain would be too simplistic for the protagonist and antagonist. But as a general rule of thumb, the better your antagonist, the better your story. Just look at the Dark Knight compared to Batman Begins. While Ra's al Ghul, the Scarecrow, and Carmen Balcone provide plenty of conflict in the latter, the Joker blows into the former like a storm on the wind and becomes an existential threat not just to Batman, but to everything he believes in. Look at the great hero-villain pairs that are stamped into our cultural consciousness. Sherlock Holmes and Professor Moriarty, Kirk and Khan, Picard and the Borg, Jean Valjean and Inspector Javert, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, and hundreds if not thousands more. Strangely, most of these antagonists only make a handful of appearances, and yet they feel like a fundamental part of the protagonist's story. Why is this, and how do you create antagonists this memorable? Of course, there's no magic bullet to achieve this, just like there's no secret formula to any problem in writing. But there are some best practices and literary principles that will keep your antagonists from becoming one of the millions of forgettable villains who've all tried and failed to defeat their greatest foe. Not the protagonist, but the writer who initially painted them in such flat, dull colors. Today, I'm going to talk about the big bad of your story, and help you fall in love with your antagonist in spite of all the terrible things they might do. I mean, come on, Wells is going to like them if you don't. Let's get our definitions squared away first. When I say villain, I mean the antagonist in the standard form of storytelling, a narrative in which the protagonist is heroic to one degree or another, we at least root for them to succeed, and the antagonist directly opposes them through immoral or villainous means. On the other hand, when I say antagonist, I mean it in the most literal sense. That is, someone who antagonizes. 
The antagonist is a person or force within the story world that pushes the protagonist away from their want and, intentionally or not, towards their need. Quick refresher. Wants are the external things the protagonist believes, rightly or wrongly, will fix their problem. Needs, on the other hand, are the fundamental internal flaw that actually prevents them from fixing that problem themselves. There are two kinds of needs, psychological and moral. Psychological needs affect only the protagonist, their happiness and wholeness as a person. Moral needs, on the other hand, affect the people around them negatively, causing the protagonist to hurt or deceive those around them. Within the structure of the narrative, the purpose of the antagonist is to keep the protagonist from their material want long enough that they are forced to address their internal need. They do this by counteracting the plans of the protagonist and forcing them to adapt their approach, until the only option that remains is deep fundamental change. Try to picture a story with no force of antagonism. Nothing to keep the protagonist from taking the path of least resistance and going straight to the finish line. The big problem with that is fairly obvious. That isn't a story. Now, perhaps that's an overstatement, but we all have an intrinsic sense of what a story is and isn't. It isn't a nice walk in the park where you saw a friend. It's the backpacking trip where you struggled up the side of a mountain all day, only to find your campsite overrun with mosquitoes when the sun set. It isn't a quiet day at the office, it's what Roger in accounting said at the staff meeting that got under your skin and drove you crazy all day. It isn't getting a peaceful night's sleep, it's the disturbing, surreal dream you had when you decided to eat chocolate right before bed. A story isn't incident, it's conflict. Whether that conflict is internal or external, personal or impersonal, a story is movement through conflict, and that's what your antagonist represents first and foremost. Conflict. The second big problem is slightly more mercenary. That kind of story can be terribly boring, and it will lose the reader or audience member as soon as the stagnant, conflict-free pattern is established. Why would they keep watching if they can guess from one moment to the next what will happen? They disengage just as soon as the spectacle wears off. In fact, any story pattern that just repeats the same note over and over again is doomed to fail 90% of the time. We need contrast to create a sense of narrative flow and momentum. Change from positive to negative or negative to positive through conflict. A lot of the time, our lives are pretty one note. Whether it's good or bad, it's mainly consistent. It's only when a force of disruption, an antagonist, appears that that rhythm really changes. Antagonism introduces a counter-melody to the music of story, giving it a variety and harmony through contrast. The more varied your sources of antagonism, the more you can add new elements to your narrative, so long as the extra notes are well orchestrated and don't create discord for the reader. The third big problem with a conflict-free story is that it's unbalanced. I've spoken about the premise and the moral argument a lot on this podcast, but suffice to say, you can't really have a good argument if there's no one on the other side. Someone yelling moral propositions at the wall isn't arguing their point. They're preaching to a choir of one. Again, if you want to avoid your story becoming preachy or trite, you need to develop a strong defense for both sides of the argument and deliver it through plot and character. You have to design your story around the dialectical principle in a way that is internally consistent and compellingly reflects a reality. But keep in mind that the antithesis can't just come out of the antagonist's mouth. The antagonist has to be the antithesis, shown in the form of a completely developed and compelling character. Now, that's not to say you should reduce your story idea to a set of logical propositions and then shape your characters entirely around them. You can certainly start your first draft that way, and it's often helpful to think of your characters in terms of values and perspectives in the initial stage of writing. However, 
Characters are more complicated and complex than that, and while they may start out as simple mouthpieces, by the end of the first draft they should be doing what authors really mean when they say characters are writing themselves. The characters are being written in accordance with their own personalities, histories and neuroses in a way that is honest to the characters, not the author's whims. However, that initial seed of story value is still there at their heart. There's just a bit more stuff around it now. This principle applies to all your characters, but since this episode is about the antagonist, I want to highlight them here. Your antagonist should be as fully realized and well-developed as any other character in your story. Perhaps more so. At the very least, your protagonist and antagonist should be as fully realized as one another in the story itself. And sometimes, having a more strongly drawn antagonist is the best move for your particular story. The Dark Knight is the Joker's movie, not Batman's. And yet, it's the protagonist's central need and want that drive that story, and the antagonist tries to keep them from one while pushing them towards the other. Avengers Infinity War is a bit of an odd duck, structurally speaking. Either Thanos is the antagonist who resists a multi-protagonist cast in a tragic storyline, the way it feels watching the movie, or else Thanos is the protagonist fighting against a cast of enemies to achieve his want, the way the script is largely structured. We spend more time with Thanos and learn more about him than any of the heroes, but that's largely because we've already spent several movies learning about them. We're ultimately rooting for the Avengers to win, but we can also see a bit of ourselves in the purple-faced Mad Titan, hence all the Thanos-was-right memes and video essays that came out soon afterwards. If your audience or reader can identify more with the antagonist than the protagonist, well, that might not be as big an issue as it seems. Sure, you want to keep your protagonist as the structural center of your narrative, but that doesn't mean audience empathy can't extend to all members of the sporting cast, including your villain. In fact, it's a smart move, nine times out of ten. Humanized, empathetic antagonists are almost always more interesting than those who play the role of the big bad and nothing more. In keeping with the Marvel theme, anyone remember Malekith the Accursed? Villain in the first Thor movie? Had a plan to destroy the universe because Thor's granddad beat him a long time ago because he was trying to... destroy the universe? Why did he want to destroy it? Didn't he, you know, live there? What was his motivation? How did he inspire followers to fight for his cause? What was his personality besides vaguely angry and kinda creepy? And did anyone even notice or care that I said he was in the first Thor movie, not Thor the Dark World? No? Oh, that's right. Uh, no one remembers Thor the Dark World, mostly because it was centered on a villain who was the big bad, for no other reason than the movie needed a big bad. In fact, while he kept Thor from achieving his material want, stopping him from destroying the universe, he didn't push him towards his need. As a result, Thor didn't really have much of one in the film. There was some half-hearted attempt at an emotional arc about his role as the future king, but didn't we kind of resolve that in the first movie? And even if we didn't, Malekith did nothing as a character to push him towards that moment of self-revelation. Having a weak antithesis led to a weak thesis, and the structure of the film, while serviceable, was pretty much completely forgettable. Compare this to Black Panther. The antagonist, Killmonger, had a moral position that was just as correct, and just as flawed, as T'Challa's. T'Challa was caught in the middle as he ascended to the throne of Wakanda, not sure of his country's place in an increasingly globalized world. His father held to the old way, that Wakanda needed to be kept secret to protect itself from attack and exploitation. Killmonger, on the other hand, grew up in urban America as the son of a Wakandan spy. He wanted to use the resources and technology of his homeworld to rebalance the scales of power. 
Neither one of them is fully right, but neither is fully wrong either. There would be a huge danger in stepping onto the world stage as a new superpower, particularly a military one. But it's possible that Wakanda would have a moral duty to force a reckoning in light of centuries of oppression. Both positions are so well thought out, logical and yet utterly contradictory that the conflict between them is all but inevitable. It's pure unity of opposites, and as Lajos Egri says in The Art of Dramatic Writing, quote, It will be a fight to the finish, because the opposites are so constituted that they must destroy each other to live. There is no choice. End quote. That phrase, unity of opposites, is thrown around a lot when discussing the relationship between the protagonist and antagonist. I mentioned it briefly in Lesson 17 when discussing allies and enemies in the supporting cast, but let's take a closer look and see why it's necessary for your protagonist and antagonist to be bound together on the journey that will twist the very fabric of nature, as Lord Blackwood said in 2009's Sherlock Holmes. Uh, though the quote would be a better suited for the Holmes-Moriarty relationship, it's still a chilling line, and a wonderful expression of the hero-villain dichotomy. Your antagonist and protagonist are fundamentally and necessarily bound together on their journeys. Whether the antagonist is the buddy or romantic interest in a comedy, or a galactic tyrant intent on destroying the last vestiges of resistance, the antagonist is necessary to the protagonist. In John Truby's The Anatomy of Story, he says, quote, The main opponent is the one person in the world best able to attack the great weakness of the hero. The necessary opponent either forces the hero to overcome his weakness or destroys him. End quote. They are necessary for the story because everything flows out of the premise. What Truby calls the protagonist's great weakness is also called the need, flaw, lack, or lie the character believes in other books on storytelling. In stories where the protagonist has an internal need, strong storytelling moves them towards the fulfillment of it by having the antagonist attack their greatest weakness. For instance, in the Doctor Who episode Heaven Sent, the Veil doesn't seem like a terribly compelling antagonist at first. It's pretty much a monster of the week, a creepy bit of costume and makeup that probably didn't cost too much to make. It doesn't talk, and in the hands of a lesser writer, it would have been just a lumbering monstrosity used to facilitate a few cheap jump scares and nothing else. But as I've said before, the episode dramatizes grief. And what does grief do the most? It reminds us of mortality. It reminds us that everything in the world, including ourselves, will one day die. The Doctor, however, seems to be eternal. When they're injured, they regenerate. Basically grow a new body and become a new person with the same memories and, generally, the same personality. This is the Doctor's thesis in this episode. He even gets to say it explicitly. Assume you're going to survive. Always assume that. And yet, the solution to escaping this puzzle box prison is, in the end, to die over and over again, creating a new copy of himself at the end of every cycle over four and a half billion years. Whether or not he'll be able to face the experience of actually dying is what the veil challenges. The doctor even admits several times that he's actually afraid of dying. The Veil is a mechanical monster based on his memories of an old woman who died when he was a child. It's literally a walking corpse, and everything about it screams death. You could hardly make a creature more explicitly designed to attack our fear of death and dying without breaking the TV rating system. Yet by consistently attacking that weakness and keeping the Doctor from his goal, to escape, the Veil pushes him towards his need, to accept death as a natural part of life, 
but not the ultimate end. The unity of opposites between the Doctor and the Veil, at least in this episode, helps demonstrate the concept very clearly, as well as how dependent it is on the specifics of your story's premise and characters. The basic requirement, however, is that the protagonist and antagonist cannot both get what they want, and neither is able to back down. The Doctor wants to escape, and the Veil wants to keep him trapped there. Moriarty wants to eliminate the threat to his criminal empire in The Final Problem, and Sherlock wants to rid the world of the most dangerous criminal of their generation. T'Challa wants to keep Wakanda isolated, and Killmonger wants it to go to war. None of these are passing fancies. They are either fundamental to survival, or entrenched ideals that can't just be changed on a whim. There are several ways to create this kind of fundamental opposition. The first is to have the protagonist and antagonist chasing the same thing, but only one of them can get it. This could be a MacGuffin, like the Lost Ark in Raiders of, or a large amount of stolen money in the Italian job. Or, in a rom-com, it could be the love of the romantic interest, hence why love triangles are so overused. Annoying and cliched as they may be, they do generally create a unity of opposites by their very design. Another solution is to have the antagonist trying to destroy something the protagonist is working to preserve, or vice versa. For instance, the Joker trying to destroy order in Gotham while Batman works to protect it, or Luke Skywalker wanting to bring down the Galactic Empire. Or perhaps the antagonist just wants to hurt or destroy the protagonist, and the protagonist, naturally, doesn't want that to happen. This solution could be used in anything from a revenge thriller to a comedy about a long-standing but ultimately petty rivalry between childhood enemies. Or, in disillusionment arcs, the antagonist could desire to corrupt the protagonist, while the protagonist wants to remain morally upright. The relationship between Bud Fox and Gordon Gecko, or Anakin Skywalker and Chancellor Palpatine, fall into this category. The method you use to create a unity of opposites will vary based on genre, story, level of conflict, premise, and a host of other factors. You may use one or more of these methods, or any number of others. The best place to start is at the protagonist's greatest weakness. What is the lie they believe, and who could most effectively and believably attack it? What kind of person or force would they be, and what strategies would they use to get at your protagonist? Within the story world you've created, what would that antagonist look like, and can you keep their actions within the laws of probability and necessity? And, depending on the genre you're writing in, how could you unfold that opposition in a way that is understandable to the reader while still being thrilling, frightening, or funny? Like everything about writing characters, there is no single formula or magic bullet. People are messy, complicated, and self-contradictory, and no one is just one thing all the time. Trying to translate that muddled mess into a story with structure and meaning is extremely difficult. But you really do have to love these characters as you figure out who they are. You may not necessarily like the things they do, but you have to understand why they do them and feel like, deep down, you might do the same thing if you were in their shoes or at least be tempted to. The reader can tell when an author doesn't love one of their characters, and the best villains are the ones that the writer clearly loves to write. There may be something fundamentally wrong with us as people, but we all love to hate certain characters, and we even love outright villains when they're well-written and truly challenge the protagonist. So dig into who they are when you're creating them. Figure out what makes them tick until you know them just as well as your protagonist. Conflict is the lifeblood of storytelling, and you can only make it stronger by building up the other side.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Homestead on the Corner. Today's Antagonism Exposition was written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and featured music from Lauren Baker. Speaking of Dark Reflections, our brand new fiction podcast, The Sheridan Tapes, is now live on all podcasting platforms. To find out where to listen to it, head over to thesheridantapes.com for show links and more info. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Trevor underscore VW for updates on both of our shows, and check out patreon.com slash homesteadcorner if you want to support our little production team. Next episode, we dive deeper into the second act and discuss how and when to use subplots and subplot characters. New episodes of this podcast release every Wednesday at 2pm Pacific Standard Time, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Well, that's about all for now. From the homestead on the corner, have a great day, and keep riding. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.